Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answer some of your questions. This week we're talking about climate justice, the role of social media in connecting and communicating our causes, why it's important to look beyond our individual actions and the various roles that we can all play in activist communities. So joining me this week is Michaela Loach. Michaela is a climate justice activist, a medical student and podcaster. She is currently part of a litigation campaign called Paid to Pollute, which is taking the UK government to court over the tax breaks given to big polluting oil and gas companies in the North Sea. 100 companies responsible for 71% of greenhouse gas emissions, but only 20 companies were responsible for a third of greenhouse gas emissions since the pre-industrial area. And they have contributed so much more than any of us individually will have contributed. And they benefit, I think, in many ways from us focusing just on like reducing our individual plastic waste, but not talking about why do we even have plastic in the first place. You, a lot of the work that you do now, um, aside from being a medical student and very busy in that respect, um, is in climate justice and activism around that. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to know, can you kind of pinpoint a time? Can you kind of remember when you became more aware or more involved in like climate activism? Yeah, for sure. I think for me, um, probably like a lot of people, I was aware that the climate crisis was happening. I cared about it, but I don't think I realized the the weight of it and how how big it was and, and how the impacts were happening today um and then I was also like really aware of um refugee rights issues especially when the jungle in Calais was on the news all the time um and that's when I got involved with kind of refugee rights work and then at the same time as getting involved with refugee stuff I was also um starting to change lifestyle things for um climate because I thought that was the way that we could tackle the climate crisis best was mm-hmm. if we all went vegan or like quit fast fashion, all those different things. That's what I thought during that time was best. Best, So I did all that stuff. At the same time, was this, there was this refugee rights stuff going on. And then I don't, I don't remember the exact like day it hit me, but at some point I realized that um, the climate crisis is, is so much bigger than our kind of individual lifestyle choices. And in order to create change, we need like big structural change and not just incremental kind of, each person changing their lifestyle or things like that. And I think that was when I realized that um, and found out that 100 companies are responsible for 71% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and so therefore, if 100 companies are responsible for that huge amount, then me going, like spending many of my hours going to five different shops to buy my groceries to make sure they're plastic free might not be the best use of my time. And maybe if I used it instead to be in organizing and activist groups and and trying to like push for big structural change, that would be better. And then I also realized at that time that... Um, the kind of refugee rights issues that I cared about are so inherently connected to climate and to climate change and to the climate crisis um, because how of how the climate crisis is the great multiplier of many inequalities. Um, it makes all of the inequalities that already exist bigger um, as how it impacts all of us is not the same um, and it's dependent upon these kind of 
structures and systems of oppression. Um, and so I think this was like a, probably a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Um, and I got involved at first with Extinction Rebellion, but I'm no longer in, involved with them, but um, with other kind of groups in Scotland um, and kind of got involved in organizing and activism and um, doing actions and trying to like shift the narrative of the media as well. Um, and then that's all kind of gone on to now. I'm a claimant on a court case, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more about later. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of a bit of a journey. But it's not, I, I, I think I relate to a lot of people who who care a lot and are trying their best to do what they can, but don't really know what is the best thing to do because it all feels really overwhelming. And I think yeah. a lot of the time we're told the best thing to do is is just this lifestyle stuff. And whilst I see that as important, I think there's, there's we can't make it just about that because when we make it just about lifestyle, we're assuming that everyone has the same amount of agency about what they can, can change and, what they, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I think that um, we can be, more expansive in how we think about it yeah definitely I'd love to know hearing you talk about it how you kind of found the different groups that you got involved with like was that more like a university centered thing or because I know a lot of people will listen and kind of think oh well I'm interested but a I don't know maybe where to find groups or what to do or like you know how perfect do I have to be at my activism before I can join a group like can you just join if you're interested or do you already have to have done things or no 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 like I I always say that like any anyone should join and no one needs to be no one needs to be perfect at all like (laughs) it shouldn't there's not it's not like you have to fill out a form like do are you um are you a vegan do you have you bought fast fashion like (laughs) it's very much like we need as many people as possible um to do like whatever they can um I actually heard in a meeting recently um someone said like one of the saddest things is someone doing nothing because they thought the little thing that they could do wouldn't matter um and so mm. they did nothing instead and I think that like even if you can only give like 10 minutes a week I don't know or half an hour a week or something um to help out with a group that that's important and it doesn't matter you don't have to be perfect it doesn't matter what you're doing I think that like being part of movements is so important I think how so how I got involved um at first I think First through Calais was where I realized I, I kind of got involved with activism at first um, because where I grew up, I grew up in um, in Surrey in the um, home counties and <laughs> it not in a space, not an activist space at all. I grew up in the middle of the countryside. I wasn't near a city or anything like that. And um, the area I grew up in wasn't very activisty, and I didn't really know people who did a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and so my engagement with this stuff was from social media a lot at first. When I was, I remember when I was at school, it was very much like seeing other people on social media do things and then learning from them how they got involved. And for me, the jumping point was going to Calais and volunteering, which I found about through social media, I think. I think someone I followed on social media went and I found out how to go. And then through meeting those people and, and kind of being friends with them on Facebook, I'd see them share about other groups. And that's how I like joined other groups and saw Facebook events for groups. And then at uni did get involved with some university based activism stuff. But a lot of it's been just community groups, which I found a lot of them on Facebook. I'm going to be honest, like a lot of them on Facebook, I think, or Instagram and things like that. I think if anyone is like, I don't know what any of these groups are, just have a search on Facebook or something like an issue you care about and then your area. And there'll probably be a group um, somewhere or even a group about that's people that care about that issue. And then you could post on it saying like, I really want to join a group in this area um and get involved I know that like a lot of people have found places through that stuff and it's and and you don't have to be perfect I really want everyone I just I think it makes me really sad that kind of this idea of having to have this perfect carbon footprint everything has has held us back in so many ways and we need to remember that the idea of a carbon footprint was popularized by BP British Petroleum which is a 
like a fossil fuel company um, who popularized this idea of individual responsibility because when we focus so much on ourselves and like each other and less so on these big corporations and these companies, they're getting away with it and we're just kind of squabbling between each other. Um, and so I think we need to remember that it's, it, it's more than that and doing action is really important. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting, obviously talking about social media in terms of like Facebook and that having a role in how you find different groups and how you then connect to people who've got similar interests. How do you kind of feel about social media and its role in activism now? Because I think it can be a little bit thorny, like it's not always 100% great, but I think it also has really changed the way that people get involved and has changed. I feel like it's it's created a lot more people who feel like they're part of movements because you can be involved in such an in a, such an online way quite easily to access yeah I think I think social media gets a lot of flack and I think I give it a lot of flack as well myself even as someone <laughs> yeah. who spends a lot of time on it but I you, we cannot like kind of negate the impact it's it has and it has had um I even think about myself um and how I first was aware of what was going on in Calais for example um on like a more human level um because of social media and actually I should probably explain if people don't know what's going on in Calais basically Calais is on the border of um the UK and France and in kind of actually probably like six or seven years ago maybe it was really popularized in the news um because there was um a big refugee camp there of people who are trying to make the crossing to the UK because there are no safe routes of travel to the UK for people who are seeking asylum and seeking asylum is a human right um but the UK doesn't offer safe routes of travel for people and so people end up stuck in Calais um trying to make the really dangerous crossing um themselves and whatever they, they in whatever they can find um and on social media i saw that's how i like became aware of that as a very human issue yeah. and outside of traditional media and how they decide to communicate it. And that's why I think social media has a huge amount of power because it can, it can, that also can be quite bad in some ways because there's maybe not as much like editorial control over what's putting out and fake news can end up, end up getting out. But also we can have some more control over the narrative and people can share like actual lived experience and experience from the ground. Um, and we can get other stories out there and yeah, I think, I think social media is really, it's, it, it can be really great. It can be super overwhelming. And, um, I think sometimes, I think especially during the pandemic, I found that even in movement spaces, um, I think probably because we've been stuck on social media so much, we've been kind of infighting so much more than we need to. And instead, and forgetting that like the fight is out there, it's not really between all of us. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky balance, I think, but I do think social media is really important, but we just have to be very careful in how we use it. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, we started touching on this before, but I definitely wanted to ask you, I mean, I can't, I kind of already know what you're going to say, but you're to kind of talk a little bit more about individual responsibility and that not being the main thing. Because as we talk about, you know, social media and Instagram and stuff like that, we do have a bit more control over the narrative of talking about climate change than maybe you would have it on major news websites or something like that, for example. But I feel like recently it has been tipping slightly. There's still obviously a lot about reducing plastic and what can we do at home and yes, carbon footprints. And I do think all of that is so important. However, I am seeing more and more about, you know, don't feel like a bad person because you can't do all this perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's not designed for you to do it perfectly. It's mm -hmm. not all about individual responsibility. 
So what else is it about instead? Mm. Yeah, I think I've definitely seen that kind of push in the narrative, which is really great, even in such a short space of time. I even think like two years ago when I started using social media more for communicating these kind of things, um, I felt like a bit more alone in talking about the structural things. Whereas now I feel like almost, not, not everyone, but a lot of people that I see at least are always adding in the nuance there that's necessary. And I think the nuance that's necessary here is that like, obviously our lifestyle and behavior change is important and has an impact um, on changing um, the impact that we have on the climate and things like that and resisting um, climate change and mitigating the effects of climate change. But that's not all of it. A hundred companies responsible for 71% of greenhouse gas emissions, but only 20 companies were responsible for a third of greenhouse gas emissions since the pre-industrial area. And those are pretty much all fossil fuel companies. Um, and they have contributed so much more than any of us individually will have contributed. And they benefit, I think, in many ways from us focusing just on like reducing our individual plastic waste, but not talking about why do we even have plastic in the first place? Like, why is mm. it so difficult for us to reduce our plastic waste in the first place? Um, and they'll say that we need to take shorter showers and do all the and turn off the lights when we leave the house, whilst they are causing so much destruction to our natural environment, yeah, and to people and causing human rights abuses. Um, and so I think what we need to do is create structural change. So we need to see that the climate crisis is a symptom of a bigger structural issue. The climate crisis is, mm-hmm. yeah, it is a symptom of exploitation and extractivism and um, capitalism as we see it now and, and how it's running away with and, and extracting everything from the earth and from each other. Um, and we need to realize that if it's just a symptom, we need to go to the root cause and we can't just treat the symptom. And so that requires us to have big system change. And that's why I think that yeah, we do these lifestyle things, but we also get involved in organizing and organizing basically just means being part of movements and giving our our time and our skills, whatever those might be and whatever your skills, or if they have no skills, if you have no skills at all, you still will be helpful in some way. Um, Because change in history has happened through ordinary people coming, not extraordinary people, but ordinary people coming together and caring enough to do something about these big issues and push the narrative and also push organizations and institutions and governments into causing change. Change is not a passive thing. It's not something that just happens. And it really frustrates me, this kind of argument of like, oh, things will just get better. So there's no point doing anything. But the only reason things are getting better is because people are doing things. Um, And so we have to be part of the people doing those things. Um, So yeah, I think it's just about shifting shifting that those narratives as much as we can and I think that's what I see a lot of my role um especially on social media being as as just as just about shifting that narrative because yeah I think a, a big part of activism is is one like making an injury that already exists visible um so that we can treat it um and then working out how we can shift what is currently seen as like acceptable and normal and how can we make that um, more equitable and better for all of us yeah absolutely so, I mean, then we talk about, okay, so just individual responsibility. Yes, take responsibility for yourself, but it's not enough. Mm. And what we need to be doing is then looking at all these other people and taking bigger, more collective actions, which is something I am aware of, but it's one of those things where I'd be like, I don't necessarily know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. But you have absolutely gone for it and uh <laughs> let's tell tell us a bit about your your new campaign and your um lawsuit essentially yeah I mean, that's right 
Yeah, it feels it still feels weird to say. I think because we had to be really quiet about it for so long. Like we we were working on this um secretly for months. Um and so it feels really weird to be able to talk to people about it. Um but I think yeah, for me, I've had a big journey from going from the lifestyle stuff and it but very much being like sustainability for me. And then now working out what is sustainability for like for we, for all of us. Like yeah. how can I make these things more accessible to everyone? I think that's why I think with all my work. Um and I think a big part of that is is changing the structural stuff. So I feel like I've gone on this journey of, of doing all of the things that we're told to do to um, mitigate the impacts of the climate crisis, to create a more just future for all of us. And then now I'm made it to the point where um, I'm taking the government to court. Um, I'm one of three game cla- three. <laughs> I'm one of three claimants on a court case, um, which um, the campaign around it is called "Paid to Pollute." Um, basically, a quick summary. Um, is that the government, the UK government this is, um, give huge amounts of subsidies and tax breaks to oil and gas producers in the North Sea. So the North Sea is um, where in the UK a lot of the oil and gas um, extraction happens. So oil and gas is a fossil fuel, it gets extracted um, from the North Sea, and then that's what gets um, burnt and releases a lot of emissions. Um, the UK government give companies like Shell and BP um, these big oil company, oil and gas companies, they give them tax breaks and subsidies. So that basically means they are paying them to do that work. They're paying them to extract yeah. and they're paying them out of public money. So public money that should be being used for public good. They're paying to these companies that um, already pay their CEOs millions in bonuses every year. Um, mm-hmm. These companies um, that um, have caused human rights abuses worldwide, these companies that could choose to um instead fund renewables right now but instead are still trying to extract as much oil and gas out of the ground as possible um which um we know will mean that we'll have runaway climate change if they continue this way um so basically we're taking the uk government to court to say that their strategy which gives these subsidies and these tax breaks um is wrong and is harmful and they should they should reflect on that given the fact that they have committed to the Paris Climate Agreement. Mm -hmm. And instead, they should be funding and investing into our future, into a transition away from oil and gas that puts workers' rights at the centre, that protects workers and that protects all of us and instead invest in our future rather than us all being sacrificed for profit, which I feel like is what's happening. Because, yeah, this this government that says they have no magic money tree and then are giving, since 2016, have given £3.2 billion of public money to North Sea oil and gas producers. Like, I, know, I know that's a huge number. It's really hard to quantify how big that is, yeah. but that's a huge amount of money to companies that already have like huge amounts of money. Also companies who lay off, who well, they'll say they care about workers' rights, but they'll lay off their workers like left, right and centre, um, but then use that as a defence. Um, and companies that know and have known for a long, long, long time they've been causing climate destruction and continue to do it. And I think it's just so frustrating because... Um, we have such an opportunity, I think, now to invest in a better future. Yeah. So many climate solutions that exist actually could make the world better for all of us, um, which I think is so exciting and amazing. Um, and it's just frustrating that um, our government isn't doing that when they have the opportunity and the capability and the resources to be able to do that. And so I think this is just another tactic and many tactics to try and hold the government accountable um, for what they say they're doing and make sure that they're actually looking out for all of us and looking out for the public good. I mean, as a UK taxpayer, I'm all for not ha- not having all this public money sent to dig up more stuff out the ground that should very well be staying there. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know how that came about because, yeah, it's one of these things where you just hear it and it's like, oh, well, you know, she's taking the government to court. It's like, how does that actually happen? Because I know you're, yeah. you're not the only claimant on mm-hmm. in the campaign either. So is that something that came about through a climate action group that you were already a part of? So um, 
if we kind of rewind, we're going to rewind everyone taking, taking you back. Um, we're in the TARDIS. We've gone back to um, October. God, I'm really exposing myself as like <laughs> massive Doctor Who <laughs> <Yuki>. um, <laughs> Back to October 2018. Um, so when I was a part of Extinction Rebellion in Scotland, um, I went down to London. So I don't know if people remember, but there was um, a huge action that happened. This was, um, yeah, no, true, 2019, October 2019, mm-hmm. um, the October Rebellion. So basically we did a load of roadblocks across London. We came down from Scotland. We had a site outside of the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, um, which is outside of Westminster Abbey. And we blocked the road there to talk about these subsidies, to try and highlight the fact that these subsidies are happening, that the government is yeah. funding the oil and gas industry. Um, during that time, I actually, like, this is my first time I'd locked on. So I had my arm in a lock-on tube and I was in a police um, cordon until like one in the morning, I think it was, or some middle of the night um, for about eight hours um, and put myself under like risk of arrest um, in order to hold our site and to raise awareness for the fact that this issue was happening. Um, mm. So this is the same department now that we, we're back in this these days that um, we're now taking to court. So it feels like a nice like arc <laughs> of um, having yeah. to call them out every every moment. Um, so through doing that work and through the climate work that I kind of am involved with um, in Scotland, I got in, in connected with a lot of different people, including um, Tessa Khan, who is a legend and climate lawyer and amazing. And it, yeah, it was through talking to her um, that I got connected with other claimants as well. And that we um, basically all like had discussions around these issues and we had um, got in touch with Lee Day, which who are our lawyers um, and they're an environmental justice kind of law firm and they do human rights cases as well. Um, and the lawyers and they put together an incredible case like with us with us and everything it feels really weird to talk I don't know it still feels weird to talk about this is real um but yeah it was many many months in 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 kind of in happening um but it's it's really great because the three of us I think represent um a lot of different people who care about these issues because I'm like a young person also someone who's part of a diaspora community I'm Jamaica well I was born in Jamaica I'm also half British um and I have grown up in the UK. I have family in Jamaica who are much more vulnerable to the climate crisis than I am here in the UK. And I'm very, very aware of that. Um, Jamaica is also a previously colonized country um, that was colonized by the British, harmed by the British in that way, and then now are going to have have the impacts of the climate crisis, which is being caused much more than Britain than it is by Jamaica. Um, So that's, and I'm also someone who's based in Scotland and part of the Scottish climate movement. So I I really care about North Sea oil and gas from from that perspective. Um, And then Jeremy, who is one of the other claimants, um, he is a ex-oil and gas worker. So he used to actually work in North Sea oil and gas. Um, And yeah, which is, so he has a really interesting like lived experience of having worked in that industry and seen how it treats workers, um, but also um, him realizing the impact of the climate crisis and the reality that a lot of workers don't have the same amount of agency. I mean, I can't speak for all workers, but mm-hmm. I think that I want to make it clear that with our case, like we have no qualms with any workers at all. Um, we are on the side of the workers as well. Yeah. Um, it's it's the the big high up people that the issues um happen with. And then Karen, um, she is an activist um with the SNP and does a lot of activism around like tax things which are things that I don't understand as much <laughs> I, I get the climate stuff but she really she and that's what all of her work is around is around um like getting justice for around public money and things like that so um all of us have very different life perspectives I think that we bring to this case um and being connected with them has been really interesting as well just to to work with people who have very different life experiences from you um and I think it's been it's been like really exciting um but yeah a strange, a strange. I don't think I ever thought I'd be taking the government to court, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> no, I mean, I just find it fascinating because I think it's one of those things that it's 
it's such like personal action from people and I know it comes about like through working with groups and things but it obviously takes so much work and there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and then you might see the occasional news story but I think like actually hearing from the individual people behind these kind of movements I yeah I just find fascinating it's been very different as well because this obviously I mean I've put myself at risk in different ways nothing Mm. compared to a lot of people do for climate but like I've put myself like under risk of arrest and as like a black woman I found that like a quite scary experience and then now that there's a huge amount of um risk that's involved in (laughs) in court cases um (laughs) huge amounts of financial risk um but I think that for me, this has shown kind of the, the desperation that I think a lot of us feel around this is that we feel like we're we're shouting and screaming to be listened to on an issue that feels so basic. Like all we want is all of us to be able to live safely and happily um, and not have this huge looming threat of the climate crisis looming over us. And we just want to make a better world for all of us. And yet it's exhausting, I think, that we have to scream and shout and, and put things at risk in order to do this. But I'm, I have a huge amount of respect for all the people that have been doing much, much more work than I have, have um, for ages. And I get inspired so much by, especially indigenous activists who um, they see this, 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 this work isn't a choice. It's they, they have to do this work. And so many indigenous activists have, have literally lost their lives doing this work. And so I think any risk that I take is, is almost nothing in comparison to what they are doing mm. already um, and have done for so long. I mean, it's, it's very noble work. I have a lot, have a lot of admiration because it's, it's brave. It's really brave. And I think the great thing to see that we, have also seen recently is that it works as well like when you're mm-hmm. when you really manage to push it through there have been I'm not going to be able to remember any of the individual points now but what was there was a day fairly recently where it was like three big cases or yes there were three big wins on the same day and it was similar in different countries of you know individual people going after legally these kind of climate protections and when it works it works and it's amazing and it must give you so much drive oh for sure I think so that week was amazing it was like known as um big oil's bad week because they had such a, a terrible <laughs> terrible week of um like having justice being served I think in many ways and accountability actually happening that people thought would never happen um we, we all of us in the paid to pollute team were um yeah very gassed that day I think gassed lol that's such a funny choice of words given, <laughs> given oil and gas um but um no because it was um Shell got taken to court by um thousands of activists took them to court um around their emissions it was the first time where basically a fossil fuel company are being told that they are accountable for the emissions from burning fossil fuels as well as producing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were told they have to reduce that significant, like it, I think it was by two thirds, they have to reduce that, which is huge. Like that's never happened before. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge win. And then there was another case that was actually in Australia where um, a group of young people and a nun um, sued the government around the a new coal plant that was meant to be being built. And um, basically it was the first time that the Australian government, the Australian courts like, and government admitted that they have a responsibility over young people um, around the climate, um, which is huge because um, when we talk about climate, like Australia and fossil fuels, is like a whole different game. So that was a huge, huge thing. And it was really amazing to see that. And then there was like shareholder coups in the Exxon boardrooms and Chevron boardrooms. It was a great week for us, terrible week for oil and gas, but I absolutely want them to have terrible weeks every week. So um, it was great. And it was really exciting because these are cases, and Tessa was talking about this as well, because she has a huge amount of experience as a climate litigation lawyer. Um, These are cases that previously probably wouldn't have won and they are being won now. And so many of them are are being brought to courts and, and many of them are winning. And that gives me a lot of hope because like, 
organizing works. It shows that organizing works, that these things are winning. It shows that the pressure that's being put on works, that things can change. Even today, actually, as we're recording this, um, the Keystone XL pipeline has just been, it's not, it's not being built anymore. They, they've, they've stopped production on it and that's huge. And that was people organizing around that um, oh, wow. for so long. And so I think organizing does work. It might feel... It might feel like we are so small, I think, in the face of all these different things around us and these big governments, and these big institutions, these companies that have millions and billions and they use all their money to manipulate the public and to lobby for things. Mm. But the reality is, is that we do have so much power when we work together. And that's why I think I I really try to say to people that we should be in movements and not just try and do everything on our own because like... I know this is so cliche, but like a problem shared is a problem hard, but also a problem shared is much easier to solve when we do it together. Um, and you're much, much less likely to burn out and you'll probably feel much better about the world in general as well when you know that you you have some power in changing it. Um, and it just takes us actually recognizing we have that power and taking it into our hands and doing it. Definitely. I think that's a good example that you're setting at the moment as well, where you know, kind of what you say about you can't do everything by yourself and you will burn out if you do too much because you have obviously been enormously busy with medical school and now all of this that's been going on behind the scenes and you're taking a year off uni is that right yes and I'm so glad I don't think because <laughs> I, I don't know how you've been doing it all. neither do I <laughs> by the grace of god that is literally be like I don't I don't think it could be it's not people ask me all the time how do you how do you do it all? and I'm just like a lot of crying and breakdowns so I don't recommend it um I'm gonna be honest like my mental health has struggled a lot this year I think because mm. I've taken on too much and that's why when I do talk about that I do a lot of things I never want to recommend that anyone does the same amount because it's not healthy yeah. and that's why I very much had to say to myself a couple months ago actually I think I was just feeling really overwhelmed like I already have anxiety and I was just feeling really overwhelmed by a lot of things I think it was a day where I was sitting down was before we'd publicly announced the court case but I was having to like read and sign off all of these big documents and then also was revising for my exams and also was doing other work and I just felt so overwhelmed and I just realized that there's no rush with a lot of these things and yeah what's important is that I'm also here and I'm also healthy. Um, and in order for me to do that, maybe I need to slow down a bit. And so, um, I contacted the medical school and asked for a sabbatical and thankfully they replied like, within, I think they knew how burnt out I was and they were like, yes, yeah. please take a break. <laughs> please. Like, and I think in it, I've been like, I can do all these things. And they're like, how about you just don't do anything? Maybe you should just relax. And, and then I, told them that I was taking government courts so they were like okay I guess you're not going to be completely okay, relaxing yeah. but at least a little bit a little bit um so I think that so often I think in this culture of especially like in we live in this society of capitalism which is all about um production and productivity and get it done mm -hmm. and and all this grind culture and everything um that I think we can internalize that so much and I think mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I had internalized my worth being based on my productivity or how much I can do and also glamorizing like being burnt out and stressed and having done all this stuff yeah um and I think that it can get really unhealthy and so I've learned a lot from the nap ministry on Instagram um they talk a lot about rest as being resistance but also like how we are doing so many things when we're resting and those things are also important and yeah that we should just take a nap and be happy and I'm trying to do that I'm going to try and I'm going to try and nap loads and yeah nap after this <laughs> yeah yeah exactly no but I've just been I just feel lighter I think knowing that I can rest um because medical school is tough and so is all these other things but um I just realized there's no rush I'll be a doctor one day it'll just take me a little bit longer <laughs> yeah I mean I, I think that's such a great example to set as well because when we're talking about these things and yes, we want everyone to take action. And yes, there are things we can be doing. And yes, be involved in movements. But equally, when you do look at people on social media who are 
you know, we're not, we're not all activists. I wouldn't consider myself an activist. Like the amount of work that goes into that, you, it's a full-time job almost like this is the thing, like you can't do everything at the same time. And I think that is a really good thing to be reminded of when you're feeling really overwhelmed that you're not doing enough because Mm. you have to really judge sometimes like before you really burn yourself out like you say rest can be productive and yeah for sure yeah and I think one one thing I would actually say on on the activism being a full-time job I think it shouldn't be and I think it should I think that Mm. I think that I realized how much me doing so much was also like my ego of me thinking I had to do all these things and no one else was like no one else could do these things and actually I found that um letting go of that and instead being like okay like I could do all these things or I could like ask friends or people that I know, like, do you have like five minutes here? Do you have 10 minutes here? Like, could you help here? Could you do this? And then spread these things out. Um, but also I think the reason why a lot of people end up doing so much and burning out is because in the similar way to what I said before about um, a lot of people feeling like they can't do everything because they don't do anything at all. Yeah. If we had more people doing like 10 minutes a week of stuff, there'd be less people doing everything. And yes. so- I think we need to dismantle this idea of like what an activist is and what you have to do to be an activist or anything like that. And I think that to me, like that's why sometimes I even have issues with like the word activist because I'm, I feel like it puts this, all of these like attributes on someone or, or this like almost like puts people on a pedestal, which is, which it shouldn't do at all because definitely any, we can all just be active citizens. Like all that requires is us to care about an issue and do something about it. And I wouldn't want anyone to think like, Oh, I only have this amount of time or like, I am not completely perfect and therefore I can't do anything like whatever you can do is valuable and important um and and don't feel like because you can't do everything you shouldn't do anything at all um yeah I think that we just need to dismantle like the idea of activism having to be like this whole encompassing destroying thing when it can actually be like joyful and amazing and something that we can all like weave into different parts yeah definitely you don't have to call yourself an activist to do activism as well like call yourself whatever you want a bean that's why I like to call you that works for everyone (laughs) I guess then on that point, because I don't think you would then scale it up and say, okay, well, everybody should be suing governments, etc. Like it doesn't make sense for that to do anyway. But how can we help to support um, campaigners and people who are already doing these things and taking this action against the big, you know, governments, companies? How do we support campaigns that are already doing that work and sort of amplify their voices. Yeah, I think that there's, I very much think there's not one type of activism or there's not one like hierarchy. There's not one type of action that's most important and what one that's like least important. And also all of us, what's so beautiful about being people and humans is that we all have different skills and we all have different things that we care about and things that we're, we're good at and want to do. And so there are so many ways you can get involved within that. Um, specifically about the paid to pollute case, if people want to support... Um, I definitely have issues around petitions, but we do have a petition. My issues around petitions, I feel sometimes people will sign a petition and be like, I'm done. Yeah. And then it'll be like, okay, I've signed a petition, therefore I've, I've smashed it. And I and there is an extent to which petitions can have impacts and not have impacts. But we do have a petition that would be helpful for you to for people to sign if you have like five minutes. But I think the biggest thing that I would say to people to do is to just talk about these things as as well like with people let people know i think most people don't know that the government is giving huge amounts of tax breaks and subsidies to the oil and gas industry i also think that a lot of people don't understand like fossil fuels and, and the impact that they have and people don't understand that plastics are made from fossil fuels and so if we're going to talk about plastic let's talk about fossil fuels and that mm-hmm. um if the fossil fuels 
have are harming indigenous communities all around the world now and have done in the past. And it's a it's a racial justice issue, it's a human rights issue as well. Um and I think that I do think in many ways like understanding these things is, is really powerful and it will impact how people act and how um people change their actions. Um so talk about these these things, educate yourself on these things. Maybe just I would say if you if anyone can join a local group, do it, please. Yeah. Um because and even it doesn't matter what it is, it could be maybe you like are really into I don't know, food and gardening or something. You could join like a community garden and, and be involved there in like food justice and stuff like that. Or if you have I know a few hours a week and you could volunteer at a food bank or I like I think all of to me all of these things encompass under climate justice in different ways. Um mm. but yeah, being involved like by educating yourself in these things, if you'd like to support the Pay to Pollute um, campaign, then if you go to paytopollute.org.uk, that's where our petition is. And you can also donate to legal costs if you would like to, but there's no pressure to at all. Um, and there's also information that you can like empower yourself with there, um, joining a local group, getting educated on these different things. But also like, I think just being an active part of the, our communities as well. And I think a big part of that I see is, is, yeah, being involved, either whether it's like contacting your local council or contacting your, the government or like contacting your local MP, even just to let them know you care about these things, it does have an impact. And even if it's just spreading awareness about these things, I think all of these things do have impacts in different ways. Um, and the more people that we have moving from that point of caring to acting, whatever acting looks like, um, that's how we create more change. So yeah, so that's a bit of a, bit of a waffly ramble. What's going on in my brain today? <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Every week, my guest and I will be answering your questions. And the first one comes in from Vicky, who says, what is the biggest challenge of overcoming the fear of not being heard or being ignored when it comes to climate action or activism in general? Mm, that is a really good question. Um, I think I would say like, be mindful of your energy and where you're using it. So for example, I know that there are certain people that I can talk to about these issues over and over and over and over and over. And I've done it enough that they're not going to listen. And so I'm not going to invest my energy in that space because I realize that I'm not the best person to communicate that to them. And instead I'll invest in spaces where I can see some change happening. Um, and I think if you're, if someone's feeling like quite defeatist and they feel quite lonely in this, um, definitely like join a group in your local area or a community online. Um, we like on our Yikes podcast Patreon, they've started a, um, discord and it's been really lovely to see all of them like 
just chatting about these things and, and a lot of people talking about how they feel really lonely I think in caring about climate so much and that just even having these pals like online who also care has really helped make them feel less lonely and give them more resilience to go out into the rest of the world and I found that so much myself um I think that there's a quote by Aaron Dusty Roy that I do quote all the time so if anyone's ever heard me speak you're gonna sorry probably heard this about 10 times but um she says that another world is not only possible she is on her way on a quiet day I can hear her breathing and I always come back to that because it reminds me that I need to listen to where I can hear that breath. Like, where can I hear the breath of the new world? Um, where can I feel that breath? Because I think that that breath is what sustains us and keeps us going and reminds us that there is hope and that there is a new world on her way. And for me, that breath I feel the most in in movements and when I'm with other people who care about these issues. And so, because we, I think because we become that breath there, because I think hope is action and 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 this new world that's on, on its way, it's not just coming out of nowhere, it's coming from all of us. Um, and so I think if you're feeling defeatist, it is really important to surround yourself with people who also can like affirm you. Um, I think that we get a lot of flack for like echo chambers and things, but in some way, echo, I think sometimes being having at least some space where people also care about these things and also can support yeah. you is a way to renew yourself and to have resilience. Um, yes, we should also go into spaces where people don't get these, like don't care and and those spaces where these things need to be talked about. But you can't only exist in that space. Otherwise, I think you just crumble because you wouldn't have anyone else there like holding you up. Um, and I think we all need to hold each other up. So that's kind of what I would say for that. Yeah, definitely. I love that quote as well. I don't actually think I'd heard that one. That is a lovely quote. She is such a beautiful writer. Oh my gosh. She wrote an amazing, if anyone's interesting as well, she wrote an amazing um, essay called The Pandemic is a Portal, which came out um, around last summer, I think. Um, which was just oh, just so moving and beautiful of like a how we can step into a new world without the baggage of the old world if we just choose to um, and how kind of this pandemic has shown the capabilities of governments to create change if they really want to um, and therefore that can empower us to know that we can create this new world but yeah so I'm just such a big fan of yeah good. I mean I love that too it sounds <laughs> great um, okay next question is from Naomi and they say what are the most prevalent ways climate justice is intertwined with systemic racism and what can we do about it? So mm. I feel like you have touched on that. Yeah, this is a this is a great question. So if people don't understand what climate justice is, so climate justice is basically a principle which sees that the climate crisis is a justice issue in how it impacts people. So kind of how I said before, the climate crisis is a great multiplier. It multiplies a lot of um, inequality issues. Um, and therefore, in our solutions that we create, we must center justice and center this understanding of things like racism and and misogyny and all these different kind of, and capitalism, all these systems of oppression. We need to have an understanding of them in how we create our solutions. Um, so I would say that the way that um, climate justice intersects with, with like, racism and anti-racism especially, um, is in the creation of the climate crisis. Um, so if we look at what the climate crisis is and how it was started, um, so it was started because of extracting fossil fuels from the ground, from this like detachment that we have with nature, but also most of this extraction happens in countries which are majority, uh, like or in areas that are like inhabited by people of color um, and th that land is exploited and it's extracted and people are murdered and, and today people are still killed. Um, like hundreds of indigenous activists are killed every single year um, to extract fossil fuels um, and their land is taken from them. And this idea of um, superiority that, that anyone can come into someone else's home and land and harm the people and harm the land it is the superiority complex, which I think 
comes from colonialism, which is a product of white supremacy. Um, and so what we see today is neo-colonialism. So neo-colonialism is just new colonialism through extraction of fossil fuels in these areas. Um, so I think that climate climate justice isn't just connected to racism and racial injustice. Um Racial injustice is at the center and the source of the creation of the climate crisis. And therefore, it must, an understanding of racial justice must inform how we do our activism. Um, otherwise, we'll just create room for oppression to exist. Um, so I think in, if you go back to the creation of that, that's where you'd kind of get that most. And if people want to learn more about that, um, Climate in Colour, which is an amazing platform, has a climate colonialism course, um, which you can access online. And it is so great. And I've done it. And it's interactive. And it will teach you about kind of the roots of colonialism and climate. Um, and it's really, really great. Lovely. Thank you very much. Last question is from Julie, who says... A lot of my family members tend to say, oh, stop bothering us with your shit on climate change and pollution. You're using a smartphone. Do you know how much this pollutes? Mm. You're not helping either. What would you tell them to make them understand that we care about the climate crisis, even if we're not perfect? That is something. So this is something that I also got a lot when we announced the um, the court case. So many like random people with no picture on Twitter quote tweeting being like, I bet she drives a car or I bet she like does whatever, like just trying to undermine you. For me, I feel like this is such like a, a scraping at crumbs argument. Like you're, you're really trying to get, you're really trying to find a reason why um, this is, this is bad. Um, but it is one that, that we get a lot and it's important to address. So I think that if you say to people about the fact that 100 companies are responsible for 71% of all greenhouse gas emissions, if you say that 20 companies are responsible for a third since the pre-industrial era, you can show that your impact as an individual is so much smaller than the impacts of all of these institutions and companies. And also the reality is, is that we live in systems that have been created to mean that we we need some of these things to survive and we don't, and we don't have... Um, as much agency and control over being able to live without them. So for example, I justified to myself having a smartphone, which I'm sure um, has was was made with minerals that have, that have definitely harmed people around the world with using that in order to try and make sure that cut doesn't happen again, if that makes sense, or to try and mm-hmm. change the systems. Yeah. And so I think that we have to realize that there's only an extent to which we can we have to balance like the impacts that these things that we have are having with the fact that we also need to be involved and active in, in creating change. So for example, if you didn't have a smartphone and you didn't, I don't know, and you didn't have anything and you like kind of, I don't know if you, anyone's watched The Good Place, but on The Good Place, there's basically this character who he's meant, yeah, okay. Doug, he's basically, he's the character who's like, he's as good as possible. He like, he lives in the middle of nowhere. He tries to have no impact at all. Like, and he's still because of all of these systems that we live in and because of all of the harm these systems cause, he still is causing harm in many ways. Um, like, on, on a, this is actually probably quite a complicated way to get it, but, but I thought they described this really well um, because it's a systems issue. It's not just about the individual. And I think that Doug, for example, as a character, if maybe he had got a smartphone and communicated about these issues that he cares about, he might have reached more people and created more change than he's making by just focusing solely on himself. And so I think that it's not just about us. It's about a bigger picture and a bigger perspective. Um, and also if people are saying these things and you, you can re- respond and they don't change their mind, they're not going to change their mind and it's fine. You can move on to someone else. I think there, there are also people that I know of who I will not bother to have these same kind of roundabout questions um, and answer things with. Um, 
but that's usually what I would I try and put it in perspective of like the bigger picture of things um but there are people who just won't listen sometimes and that's fine if you want to know about chances to send in questions for upcoming guests, then follow us on Instagram or Twitter at goodinfluencegs and email me at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com. So you've given us some wonderful recommendations already in this episode, but before you go, I ask every guest for recommendations if people want to learn a bit more about what we've been talking about in the episode could you please recommend us something to read something to listen to and something to watch yes okay so oh gosh something to read okay I would really recommend reading um what white people can do next by Emma Dabry because it is a really great book I think that connects how like capitalism and climate even though it kind of touched on climate, but it's definitely like in there and there. Um, and um, racism intersects. And I think that the title is quite misleading. And I've spoken to Emma about this because I interviewed her around the book. Um, but she wanted it to be quite like, to draw you in and to make you think, oh, what white what, what people do next? But I, me reading it as someone who is a black woman, I gained so much from it. Um, and it's only like 120 pages, I think. So it's really short, but packs a huge punch and it will show you why movements are so important um, and hopefully inspire you to get involved, but also just like shake up your world a little bit in the best way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something to listen to. Um, the Drill podcast is so good. So it's a true crime podcast about the fossil fuel industry, which is so bizarre, but great. Um, ah. So it uses like a true crime format to talk about the kind of the things the fossil fuel industry have done and especially around greenwashing and especially around climate denial. Um, and I learned so much from listening to this. And they also talk a lot about climate litigation cases. So kind of legal cases like my case, but ones around the world. Um, but the format of it is a true crime thing. It's really interesting. And the episode's only like 20 minutes long each, but I get really addicted to it. I love it so much. It's so, so good. Um, that sounds so really, really good. good. Yeah, I, it's so, I'm I'm obsessed. It came up on, the, you know, the Spotify thing they did recently where they were like, it's so you to, and it was like, so you to just listen yeah. to Drilled all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. Um and then is something to watch? Yes. Yeah. So um, I was on a panel. This is probably a bit sneaky for me to... Also, actually, sorry, going to go back quickly. Something to listen yeah, of course, to. Yeah. I have a podcast. It's called The Yikes Podcast. I always forget to plug it. And then my, my co-host gives me a, <laughs> a nudge to be like, come on. Um, but The Yikes Podcast is a podcast all about the things that make us yikes, the things that can be really overwhelming. We talk a lot about climate um, and racial injustice and um, anti-capitalism and just all of these different things in climate justice and what that actually means. Um, and we try and do it in a way that's accessible. So we try and define key terms and to try and make sure that we make it as easy to access as we can mm-hmm. um, because we don't want anyone to feel like, kind of in what we talked about today, that um, you can't get involved in climate um, because you don't know enough or you can't be an activist because you don't know enough. We try and make that a space where you can come to wherever you're at. And then something to watch um, I was on a panel with Shadow Mag, which Shadow Mag is an amazing um, like independent magazine that does a lot about activism and racial injustice and climate and things. Um, and they had a panel called um, What is Environmental Racism? And uh, it was really, really great. It's actually on my IGTV on my Instagram, which is at Michaela Loach. Um, and the other panelists were amazing. And it was one of the best conversations I've just ever had with a group of amazing black women. And it was just so great. And if anyone wants like a an introductory into environmental racism and environmental justice and climate justice. That is a great thing to watch. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Michaela, for joining me. 
If you've enjoyed the episode, I'd love you to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're listening on. And if you've got an extra minute, you can leave a rating and a review as well. Your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast. See you next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.